Welcome back to the Tape Deck, yet another pointless podcast about music from Seattle, Washington. This week, Inspector View. For the week of July 15th, 2019, local band Happy Times, Sad Times put out a record called Don't You Want to Dream Again via Den Tapes. We gave it a red. It's an amazing listen, super visceral, super communal. We'll be sure to get your head bopping and your toes tapping. Uh, Purple Mountains, which is Silver Juice frontman David Berman's first project in over a decade, put out a new record. We gave it an electric indigo. It's exactly what you would expect out of David Berman. Um, he's not feeling great about his life, and he wants to tell you about it. And it's super compelling, a great lyricist. Check it out. Blood Orange put out an epilogue to 2018's Negro Swan. This album's called Angel Pulse, and it's a mixtape. We gave it a light choral. Uh, not challenging, but very smooth and very enjoyable to listen to. And if you're still into Vaporwave, uh, check out this uh, weird project from unknown Seattle producer Felidai or Bashi. I'm not sure what the name is, but he put out a record called Kisuo Oobite. And uh, maybe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Who knows? But it's dark and it's strange and it's weird and you should check it out. That was the week of Spectre Review. Now enjoy the podcast. Check us out at tapetechpodcast.com. Enjoy. Today on the podcast, I have with me Alex Benson. He's a local musician from Phoenix. You've been living here for like a couple of years now, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got a, a zine called Loop and Replay. He's an excellent writer. I would absolutely go check out his work. Last month, you did a segment on... Um, uh, it was like sort of like related to Pride Month, right? Mm-hmm. Like a whole bunch of uh, musicians that later died from AIDS, I think, was it? Yeah, yeah. It was about uh, uh, queer artists. Well, it started as queer artists using uh, like an alien metaphor to kind of package their identity so in a way like, that's like consumable. It goes down. So know? like David Bowie and Klaus Nomi. Yeah. Like, yeah. Janelle hey. Monae. Yes, yeah. Janelle Monae. Um, Freddie Mercury, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So then, like the, the I kind of continued it. So the B sides were uh, less alien, but still queer. Cool, you know? love yeah, it. So. Yeah, he is an excellent writer, and you need to go check out his stuff. It's at loopandreplay dot com. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, excellent, sweet. Uh, is there anything cool you've been listening to lately? Oh my gosh. Okay, there's this band, um, The Beths. They're from New yes, Zealand. Yes, the like Australian them? band. Oh, oh, is it Australian? They're from yeah, Australia, yeah. yeah. Whatever their accent is, I love it. Yeah. They're so good. They're coming here in uh, August. As they should. Yeah. They would receive quite a crowd out here. So excited. Yeah. That, the, that record is fantastic. It's so good. Speaking of... I th- Okay, and I believe they are Australian. I think I'm 90% it's sure. It's one of the two. Um, yeah. Speaking of Australian bands that lean on power pop, have you heard of the Sidekicks? Uh-uh. You should check them out. They yeah? had a new band. They had a new album uh, that came out last year. I think it was last year. Called Happiness Hours. Okay. Freaking love it. It's like, it's I'm like perfect down, yeah. power pop in in like contemporary music. Like it's so good. I love me some power pop. Yeah, yeah. Totally check it out. That shit is amazing. I went to go see them live at um. I think it was Funhouse or El Corazon. It was a building. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sound wasn't great, obviously, mm. but mm-hmm. they were still great. They and the Spirit of the Beehive opened for them. Mm. Um, that band is also amazing. If you okay. want to check them out, yeah, Spirit of the Beehive, Sidekicks, whole bunch of good shit. Cool. Yeah, and definitely go listen to that Beth's record. It's amazing. I forget what it's called. It's kind of long. It's got a comma in it. Yes, very long title, <laughs> but worth it. Yeah, yeah. it's worth it. Um, so today we're going to be talking about something that you know you knew a lot more about than I did until I researched it about five hours ago, <laughs> which is um, Cambodian rock and roll and uh, sort of how it came to prominence 
um, and how it sort of met its demise a little bit mm -hmm. in the uh, in the wake of the Khmer Rouge regime. Mm -hmm. um, it's absolutely fascinating stuff, and uh, the basis for a lot of what we know about it nowadays, um, and and how people came to know about it now, uh, was this amazing. I think it came out in 2015. Mm -hmm. Documentary called. Um, it's something about forgotten. Don't, don't think, think I've forgotten, forgotten. Yeah. the story of Cambodian rock and roll. Uh, I don't know where you can find it. I watched it on Vimeo and I rented it with money. Yeah. So, uh, no illegality there. Um, it's an amazing documentary um, and it's definitely worth checking out. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just so much to cover about it, you know. Um, Cambodian rock and roll is, I think, fascinating because of how much it was sort of a successful synthesis between certain cultures that also brought in a very specific Cambodian spirit to it. Yeah. You know? Like, I think when we talk about a specific, how, how a specific culture comes out with music, there are certain sets that, that become hallmarks of that music, you know? Mm -hmm. Just watching the documentary, the one thing that, that popped out at me was how, uh, in Cambodian music, whether or not the lyrics are being translated for you or, or whether or not you know them by heart, if you, if you know um, Khmer language, um, there's this weird, they called it insinuation, where it doesn't matter how fast the lyrics come, the way that the music flows and how it sounds and the, the imagery that the singer uses sort of lets you know almost immediately what's the, what the song is about before they start actually concretely topping it, talking about what the song is. Totally. You know? And I think that's something that's super fascinating about that, you know? Yeah. And then when you saw... Um, what was the first, arguably the first culture to hit Cambodia? Was it France? I yeah, because they were under French rule uh, till 53, I think. Yes. Um, so obviously th those records would be like the ones that are most imported. So mm -hmm. you got like Ye Ye music and then like the French folk movement too. Right. Like those stayed as threads. And then too, um, with everyone learning the French language, there's a lot of artists that would sing in French or they, it would be a combination of mm -hmm. the Cambodian language and French. I was about to say, yeah. Do you know when, or I mean, because France occupied Cambodia years and years and years before that, and it seemed as though the language was certainly influenced by French because of that, you know? Totally. So it would make sense that there was a, there was a, a link between that. Um, what exactly is Ye Ye music? I'm actually not certain. You know, I I couldn't give you a super solid definition, but it's very girly, it's very poppy, and it's very fun. You know, it was it was, it's very stylish, and yeah, most of the singers are are women. Right. Um, but it was happening like at the same time as like Serge Gainsbourg, so right. like '60s. You know. Mm -hmm. Um. I want to compare it to mod. Okay. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. But it's very soft, but like upbeat dance. It's Was great. a little like go-go music? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would so say like, so. Yeah, go-go music, but maybe less dancing per se? Yeah, a little bit toned down. Like you're just yeah. kind of bobbing and mm -hmm. you're swaying. Yeah. <laughs> like it's very pleasant. So let's talk a little bit more about why exactly this music was hitting. Because again, Cambodia successfully left French rule in 1953, you said. Yeah. And there was a specific ruler, because um, Cambodia was still, what was it, a monarchy? Because yeah. they had a ruler, and his name was um, Sinok, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Sinok uh, 
was a person who had spent some of his life in the arts. Like I believe he knew how to do, he knew how to play music. He he had done films before, mm-hmm. and he was one of those guys who had hired specific orchestras for him that would then escort him around the country and. One of his goals as a leader of the Cambodian people was to proliferate, was to help arts, the arts proliferate throughout the country. Totally. You know? So he was a huge proponent of the arts and a huge proponent of music. And, and partly the reason why there was a huge sweep of, of the rise of Cambodian music and Cambodian rock and roll in particular was because he was open to foreign influence mm-hmm. you know, and, and wanted that to come through and ju- just wanted the arts to flourish in his country. Totally. You know? So part of that was, and you never really see that in, not in a lot of countries, at least. Mm-hmm. You never see it, an actual leader of the people so interested in making sure that it's music and the arts come through. Yeah. You know? It's something that it, at least is new to me, but that's because I don't know too much about geopolitical you know, history. Tot- yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. He was a creative guy. Yeah. And he so he wanted to fund the arts, and he wanted Cambodia to be known for their art and music. Yeah. Uh, stuff is... It, it's kind of amazing that he was that person. You know, yeah. I, I, thinking about it, can you think of any people like presidents in this country who would like that? Oh, man. <laughs> I can't really. <laughs> in a total opposite way, Reagan. I was about to say, Reagan was in the yeah. movies and then he was totally not that. Yeah. But um, people made art in spite of Reagan. That's in a true. Way. You know yeah. what's funny is that ever since, like, I want to say Nixon, maybe, there have probably been presidents before that, but there have been. Ever since the counterculture, it's more like people have made music in spite of the leadership. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So again, it's I think it's a foreign idea to me at least that you would have a leader who was so integral to the 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 flourishing of arts in that country. Totally. Yeah, that's such a weird um, concept. You know? I mean, can you imagine what pop punk would be like if it weren't for George W. Bush? Oh my God, like, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, George no, W. Bush no, uh, did a Green lot. Day Renaissance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we missed out on that. Um, so it's funny that uh, that Sihanouk played a huge part in that because then you would get people, singers who were getting popular at the time, like, um, oh, God, what was the name? Sisanouk? I forget. Sin Sisamuth? Yeah. Sisamuth, yeah. Sin Sisamuth. We will probably be butchering the names. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. This These is... are all Cambodian names, and we are yeah. not Cambodian by far <laughs> at all. Um, he So Sin Sisamuth, this guy had such a huge part of of making contemporary Cambodian music, you know, because he was a guy who started integrating modern singing from other countries with traditional Cambodian singing um, that, you know, that was known to Cambodian time. And the reason why he did this was because he was invited by Sihanouk's mother to come to the royal palace to participate in the royal ballet, which is a traditional thing in Cambodian government at the time. This is where he learned how to sing in traditional style. And because he was a polyglot or, or an omnivorous person, someone who wanted to to enmesh all of these cultures, and he just took that and ran with it. And so he was really popular with the older crowd. He was there's always an artist that helps introduce certain music to certain people. You know, like how A Tribe Called Quest, for example, helped introduce hip-hop to the older generation. And Sin Sissamuth was that type of person in the Cambodian uh, country. Like, oh, he, really? he helped bridge that gap. Because a lot of older people sort of heard what he was doing. They knew traditional singing and then heard about, oh, but he's putting a little, he's putting a stank on it. You yeah, know? That, um, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and of course, he was uh, uh, relevant later in life, too, up mm-hmm. until the, the Rouge regime. 
and which we'll talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. um, so when uh, the 60s were coming about and vinyl was starting to get, and cassettes, cassettes later, but when vinyl was starting to get uh, introduced, mm -hmm. all of a sudden um, French music, like um, guitar music, mm -hmm. you know, started to get introduced. So there was this band called um, Boxe Chancron, mm -hmm. I think was their name. Um, and this was, I, was it a trio or was it four people? I only know three people yeah, in the band. Yeah, I think it fluctuated, but but it was four at a time, okay. at, at one point in time. But um, yeah, first first Cambodian guitar band. Which is crazy. Yeah. You know, like, and uh, and what band were they influenced by? Uh, the Shadows. The Shadows. This yeah. was, a French, was this a French band? They're British, and there British. was a there was a movie. Oh gosh, what are the, the I, th I believe it's called the Young Ones. The Young Ones. I think you're correct. Yeah, and they they had a, um they all dressed alike, and then they had these synchronized dance moves with their guitars, swinging back and <laughs> forth. And so, yeah, the two brothers that started Boxy Chum Chrome saw that, and they're like, "This, this is what we're doing. I want to do this." <laughs> they literally just took those movements yeah. and ran with it, which was fine because no one in Cambodia knew yeah how to do that stuff. You know, it was so novel to them. Totally. You know, so that's, it, it's one of those things where just by virtue of them holding electric guitars and sounding great, they influence so many other people. Yeah. You know, like I know one of the members of Boxe um, left that band um, super uh, afterwards and went to form the Bayon Band who would end up oh, yeah. being super influential simply because they just took every gig they could. Yeah. Like they would just play at weddings, they would play at bars, <laughs> they would play at parties. Like just more... That was another way of getting guitar music out there. Yeah. And, and the thing about that was Sissimoth took the older crowd, but the guitar bands, because they were, it was a revolutionary sound in that country and it was loud and energetic, it really appealed more to the younger crowd. Mm -hmm. So it was the younger generations that were helping the guitar music get out mm -hmm. you know, in that mm -hmm. country. We talked a little bit about go-go music as well and, mm -hmm. how, and how Yeah Yeah is sort of simple, similar to that. Go-go um, music was also the kind of music that that w appealed to the younger crowd as well because it was energetic and dancing, mm -hmm. you know, and um, an amorous music, you know. Yeah. Like, it was totally like a youthful um, sensation. And this was how Sin System was, would help uh, latch himself onto the young generation because he became a voice for this movement. Like, he would be the face of a lot of go-go. Go -go. They called it a go-go mm -hmm. in that country mm -hmm. instead of just straight-up go-go. Um, but he had a ton of records in that way. And it was... So essentially, Sin System was, we're, we're going to call the David Bowie a little yeah. bit of this of this because he was such a he was so versatile mm -hmm. you know um, and then later when he met this other singer um, Rosere Estea mm -hmm. I think is what mm -hmm. her name is how much do you know about her I mean I would love to know more I yeah. don't know enough but uh, I I mean she's if if Sin Sisamuth is the the king of Khmer music then then Rosere Sotia is like the queen right yes and um, that's not just because they had a musical partnership later in their career like yeah she so she started out as a farm girl mm -hmm. like she was she would just she was a rice farmer um she lived in a farming community called Batambang mm -hmm. uh and she was one of those girls where and there's tons of them nowadays like you would go out to farm and you would practice singing because that's what you love to do and she developed this really dramatic voice that caught a lot of people's attention when she left for Phnom Penh mm -hmm. and the thing that we haven't mentioned is that this city this specific city Phnom Penh um, and I must be slaughtering that. I, you're doing better than me. <laughs> I, I could, yeah. she, uh, this city was be under Sihanouk's uh, rule. Mm -hmm. This became a cultural center point 
of Cambodia. This totally. city would be the city that all of the artists would flock to. So every trend that we will be talking about in Cambodian music, this was the city, like Phnom Penh. And so she moved there when she was 17. Mm -hmm. um, caught the eye of a whole bunch of people that were working for a new institution that Sihanouk had started up, obviously, called National Radio. And it was this radio that she ended up working for. Um, she worked for their sound recording department. She would produce records for the government for National Radio. It, one of those things where you had a government-funded musical program and it didn't suck. Yeah. Like it was super. It was super <laughs> well known and like a, just a great source of music. You know. What are the odds? What are the odds? Right. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Um, so. She met Sin Sissamuth there. Her career took off, but she was at that point still sort of a solo singer. Mm -hmm. She married this guy named Sosmath. Mm -hmm. um, Sosmath was also a singer, but they ran into a little bit of trouble because she was singing at a club. I think the song she was singing about was legitimately a song about their, the status of their relationship, which was a little sour at the time. <laughs> Some guy in the crowd, while she was singing that song, the song was called um, Why Are You So Angry? Mm -hmm. And there was a drunk in the crowd who yelled out, I wouldn't be angry at you, Ross. And Salsmouth, who was there, because uh, they were doing a duet together, between sets, he got angry at the guy and fought with him because he was drunk. And then he fought with her, and then he beat her and split her lip. And that immediately caused her to want to divorce him, obviously. So... She returned home to Batambang. Sisamuth followed her there and swore to her that she would be protected, like because he cared so much about her, like and not maybe not necessarily romantically. Like mm -hmm. it was definitely I think more of a platonic relationship. Mm -hmm. But she he just wanted to make sure that she was treated well. So he was like, I guarantee your safety. I will make sure that you will not that you'll always have a recording partner in me. Like you'll always have work. Like because you're too valuable to give up. You know. Uh, so they started recording together, and as far as I know, their recordings together are some of the most treasured Cambodian music of that period. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Um, how would you describe Sisamut's voice? I mean, so comparisons are always, like, troubling, right? Yeah. <laughs> to be, like, the Frank Sinatra of Cambodia or yeah. the Elvis of Cam Like, there's never any, like, perfect parallel, but I would say, like, a combination between those. But I would say very emotive. Buttery, um, I would say. Yeah. Like, it's so smooth, his voice is. Yeah, and he was just known for, like, being a really, like, a class act, regardless. Exactly. Too. Like, yeah. he was known for his personality and his, like, respect for the community just as much as his music, which is just awesome. Yeah, you know? that's true. Uh, alternatively, how would you characterize Ross Sarai voice? I mean, very sorrowful. Sorrowful. Like, yeah. a, a lot of... What we sort of discovered is that a lot of Cambodian music generally lends itself to melancholy. Yeah. Like there's a lot of songs about sadness and despair and breakups and yeah. uh, broken promises, you know. Mm -hmm. And she, I think her voice, which was normally very soaring and dramatic, she really sort of lent a melodramatic quality to the stuff that she was singing that helped propel her career. Totally. You know? And so put the two of them together. Yeah. Like this man who's got this very low, smooth, like... Very, very grounding voice, almost earth-like. Mm -hmm. And then you have hers, which is more soaring, dramatic, a little bit like fire. Yeah. Um, and you've got, like, just a winning combination. Their stuff is so good. I don't know if you can find it on YouTube, but Sisamoth and uh, Rastare Satea have duets that are available that are unbelievable. So good. Like, so 
moving, mm -hmm. transportive, transportive, mm -hmm. I guess is the right word. Um, that's another thing too that I, that I sort of started reflecting on about this particular music is how the way that they choose what to sing, it takes you someplace, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's the best that music can do if you don't understand the language that they're singing in, you know? Like whatever they're singing, the way they sing it and the way that the orchestra or the band accompanies them can take you to a place where there are like coconut trees and like full moons and or dire circumstances or blissful circumstances, you know? Yeah. Um, there's some of the best Cambodian rock and roll and, and I guess Cambodian folk a little bit, sort mm -hmm. of same thing, like traditional, has that quality, mm -hmm. you know? And that's why it's totally worth checking out. No. Well, yeah, I think I, well, I think language is like the first barrier to not exploring um, music from other cultures. I would say that for for me, like growing up, especially, you know, you're like, oh, I, I, I I'm not going to listen to this. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're saying, <laughs> yeah. right? But but there is so much. I mean, obviously, if you can find like a translated version or subtitled version, like that gives you so much insight. But even when that's not there, like you can still get so much from like story songs you true. know and like so y you might not know the exact message yet right or there might not be an easy way to like view the transcription but you can s there's still so many ways to enjoy it that are i guess not as linear you know true you know what's funny too is i don't know whether or not it's a specific trend in today's music or who started it but it's less and less um necessary for there to even be intelligible vocals yeah. in a song nowadays yeah. you know maybe it's the globalization the fact that we're being introduced to all this music nowadays but like um songs from other countries have been so popular nowadays you know That's true. like the biggest i think the biggest hit of the summer last year was a spanish song song really? Despacito. oh yeah, yeah 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 and true and then bts is super popular right now they're one of the biggest acts in america right now that's a great point um city pop has been huge like that japanese um you know about city pop mm -hmm. yeah that the there's so much it's almost sometimes i prefer listening to music that i don't understand the lyrics to because i can bring my own totally you know yeah all you have to go on is what the music is playing and how they're singing it and you can be like oh they're singing about this and yeah you know whether or not i i have a translator or i have a way to it doesn't really matter totally it's just another way to enjoy it and i i would love to do my own research and see whether or not there's an act that perhaps helped proliferate you know that that particular kind of shift, you know. Yeah, I who mean, knows whether or not it was th like the weird alternative, um, like maybe bands like Cigarettes and Radiohead, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. obscuring their vocals perhaps and making it so that it's not particularly necessary, or yeah, you know, maybe it goes all the way to hip hop and eventually trap, maybe you know, mm -hmm. mumblecore is a thing and that's been super popular. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So. I mean, intelligibility is overrated. Yeah, yeah. Gangnam Style kind of busted that door through. I remember right? when that happened. I think everyone yeah. remembers where they were when Gangnam Style yeah. happened. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who knows what? I don't know what's going on in that song, but it's, it's true. probably still the most viewed music video. I would ex I mean, in a long, long, yeah. long time. Absolutely. So, getting back to um, Cambodian, the development of Cambodian music. So mm -hmm. there was a little thing that was happening. If you don't know where Cambodia is relative to the rest of the world, Cam uh, Cambodia is bordered by three South Asian, Southeast Asian countries. Thailand in the Northeast, Laos in the North, and Vietnam mostly on the Eastern border. Mm -hmm. So if you know anything about American history, we were entangled in a little bit of a conflict called the Vietnam War. 
and uh, there was heightened aggressions between the Vietnamese and America. We were occupying that, that uh, nation at the time. And Sihanouk, during his rule, professed and strived for neutrality within this country. Um, he just wanted peace. You know, Idealistic? Maybe. I really appreciate <laughs> that, that they were trying to stay neutral for the entire time. Yeah. The problem with pushing for neutrality is that you're always going to have a sect of your people that see what's going on near your country and even on the border of your country and getting fearful and wondering where your country is headed and whether or not it's going to happen to you. And the people that were worried about this started to form this underground base that were led by a whole bunch of people that were influenced by China's Communist Party. And this group would later be known as the Khmer Rouge. Um, these were people who uh, professed um, the end of class or class warfare. They Communism's idealisms, like their flawed idealisms that um, everyone's equal, you know, but they were very, they're warfare about it. They became very nationalist because of this and they didn't like Sanuk for it. So because of the escalation of the Vietnam conflict, um, this threatened the neutrality of Cambodia. And then in 1970, uh, there was a bloodless coup and Sanuk lost power. And then the Khmer Republic happened. And this was under the Lan Nol government, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, Sihanouk, by these people, were blamed for letting the Viet Cong into the country and helping to stir, because the Viet Cong were becoming a problem to the Cambodians because they were, they were upping the aggression on American soldiers. It was also around this time where people were, I mean, Cambodian people were essentially tuning into American radios because Americans were being stationed in Vietnam and near Cambodia. And so this was when what was solely the field of music like French and Afro-Cuban and mm -hmm. South American music, all of a sudden American music started to come in. And so you remember what was happening during the late 60s in America, right? Just a whole bunch of fucking just <laughs> changes, you yeah. know? So yeah. um, like a uh, huge, powerful soul, people like Wilson Pickett mm -hmm. um, and uh, Cuban um, psychedelic rock like Santana. Santana was a huge influence Amer from, the, from America, at least, on uh, Cambodian music. Mm -hmm. You know, that, uh, mm -hmm. the passion and the guitar playing and uh, sort of everything about that, yeah. you know? Um, and the hippie movement as well. Yeah. San Francisco, you know, that, that the psychedelic rock scene all of a sudden started to affect uh, Cambodians. People grew out their hair long. Mm -hmm. They would wear the, the clothing, the flowered clothing, which fits, when you think about it, it's a natural fit. Yeah. I think, you know? And um, it, it, American culture just became rampant. Totally. Dumping at that point, you know? Um, can you think of any acts from the late 60s, early 70s that started getting really popular in America? I mean, in uh, Cambodia? Uh, American acts or Cambodian acts? Cambodian acts. Oh, well, yeah. there's Drakkar. Drakkar, yeah. They were like, I don't know, a lot of people will draw a line between them and Led Zeppelin. And Interesting. Kind of, they're, they're, they pitch themselves as a lot heavier, a lot more fuzzed out, and they were, uh, I mean, in terms of like appearance especially, they were the ones going all out. <laughs> Long hair, hippie clothes, like going all the way. And... I mean, their album came out in 74. Okay. So 75 is year zero, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to with the <laughs> genocide, right? Yeah. So it's, it, they're kind of, Jakar is kind of like the what if, you know, like they were kind of the direction it would have gone had the genocide not happened. Interesting. You know? They would have been kind of like the second wave of like, right. here's what happens when it kind of evolves and gets a bit heavier and, and right. follows that more closely. So that's the closest thing we have to being like, 
you know, alternate reality, where would this have gone? Interesting. You know? Yeah, I do. It, they do come out as one of the first instances of what would be known as Cambodian hard rock. Mm-hmm. And there wouldn't even be many examples because of what happened the yeah. year afterwards. You know, there's another guy that that jumped out at me, uh, Yol Alarong, mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember if he was part of a band or if he just if he was just his solo stuff and he had a backing band. Mm-hmm. But he had a whole bunch of popular singers behind him at the time. Like, there's a singer called uh, Pen Ram mm-hmm. that was super popular, and he she was in his band. Mm-hmm. But um, we talked a little bit about insinuation and how that's a quality of Cambodian music. Yol Alarong was one of those people who took what would normally be traditional uh, Cambodian uh, lyrical content. Love and sadness and serious topics. And he added this, it was, he devoted himself to comic lyrics and sarcastic lyrics. Mm -hmm. Like he would write songs about being a good student, but he actually wasn't a good student. And it was literally just how he sang it (laughs) and how he chose to to provide the music behind him. You know, He he was one of those guys that took what was a very specific Cambodian trait and then took it and, and brought in this sort of sarcasm and, and, and uh, humor yeah. and made it his own. And he, he became a little bit of a revolutionary, almost a little bit of a rebellious spirit, you know. Um, and that's why he was known a little bit as an icon, even up until year, year zero. And that yeah. became problematic in and of itself. You, right. know, you can imagine what happened to him, yeah. you know, considering the way he, he led his life. Yeah, it was like subversive through humor, and it was uh, it was a safe way to deliver a bit of social commentary on like the old guard of uh, Cambodian society. Right. And yeah, yeah, Pen Penran or Penron, you know, she did the same thing in a different way. So I want, yeah, I wonder if it was kind of like she was understudying. I can imagine. Along, you know? Yeah, <laughs> they probably just had the same spirit. Yeah, really. like they just they just got each other on that level. And wanted to wanted to profess the same things. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. So before we get into year zero, we can talk a little bit about how this music spread throughout the country. So this mm-hmm. force of national radio, mm-hmm. um, this uh, this institution that was started by Sinuk's government, where all of a sudden you could just wherever you were in Cambodia, specifically you were in the markets, like you would take a break from work and you would listen to the radio. Um, there were certain voices that lent themselves to the spread of this music. And one of them was this uh, woman named um, Hoi Myas. Mm. I think that's mm-hmm. how you pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was one of the program leaders. Like, she would be the DJ, essentially. Not only that, she was a singer in and of herself. And based on her voice, which is lovely, like, it's even higher than Sorestea's. Uh, like, it's, it's high, it's vibrant, it's extremely colorful. Um, She's sort of, in her image and the way that she helped spread music, she became a sort of ideal for Cambodian women. Like, she was very, uh, she was a, a trend maker in that regard. Like, you know, someone who was devoted to their country and, um, and uh, industrious, but also beautiful and had this great voice, you know. A lot of women looked up to her mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so, year zero happens, that's... Um, 1975, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the impetus for that happening, and we'll get on in a second. So there was a crucial period of time in 1973 when the Vietnam War was ramping up extremely badly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the American government was worrying that the Vietnamese were taking too much of Cambodia for them to, once they had taken a certain specific part of Cambodia, because the Vietnamese had already inter- uh, integrated themselves into the, the eastern part of Cambodia, at least. Mm-hmm. 
the American government was worried that the Vietnamese would take too much of that population and they would be outflanked. So what they did was um, they bombed eastern Cambodia, a specific part of eastern Cambodia, for 200 days straight. Just bomb after bomb after bomb and thousands, tens of thousands of people were killed because of these bombs. And this was a little bit of the turning point. Um, this, these things, these events, the, the slaughter of um, Cambodians who had done nothing wrong, this spurred on the Khmer Rouge. Um, it increased their fervor. Um, this helped them gain more supporters, more allies, countrymen, people who rightfully didn't understand why their people were dying, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so in response to this, the Khmer Rouge started attacking the Lannol government um, because they, they claimed that they were to blame, you know, mm -hmm. for, for because the Lannol was being backed by the Americans. So because mm -hmm. they were backed by the Americans, they're like, you're being backed by the people that are bombing us. Mm -hmm. We're going to resist against that. So they started intentionally bombing Phnom Penh. Then um, that was they were starting to injure and kill many innocents, and now the national mood started souring a little bit. Now you you could you weren't even safe in Phnom Penh. Like yeah. you could you could just be playing music in a bar and all of a sudden die, you know. And the the mood shifted from one of love and creation to one of fear. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where things get really really bad because when President Ford decided to pull out of Cambodia. The, the Lunnol's power was decimated. They needed the American forces to help them against um, the Khmer Rouge. Sirik Matak, the general for the Lunnol government, issued a letter to Ford stating, I respect you guys, but I can't leave because I love this government more than you guys do. You know, it was one of those passive aggressive things where he's like, <laughs> I respect you and we're friendly, but just so you know, you've killed me. <laughs> and uh, that actually happened a week later, he died. Mm. So, April 17th, 1975, the Khmer Rouge stage a coup. They moved into Phnom Penh. Mm -hmm. Many people who lived in the city didn't understand what was going on. They believed that Phnom Penh was actually being liberated from war. They were like, hooray! Like, we don't have to fight, we don't have to be is fighting us anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And the Khmer Rouge immediately started doing everything they could to keep a very nationalist spirit in Cambodia. So we were talking about how influences were starting to come in from different places around the world. The Khmerers were like, we want none of that. This mm -hmm. is, according to them, this is why the Vietnamese and, like, we started having so much trouble with the Vietnamese and Americans, you know? So they took over national radio. You can mm -hmm. imagine what happened, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Blacklisted it. There was almost no freedom of expression, no outside influence. Every single member of Phnom Penh, which is, was about two million people at the time, mm -hmm. were forced to evacuate. Um, and if you were an artist that had anything to do with any music that was outside of Cambodia, which at this point was pretty much everything, mm -hmm. you were already hated by the government and you did not have a shot of living if you continued to be an artist. So, pretty much... Almost every single person that was known for doing music back then, we're talking Sinsisamoth, Ross Soresatea, Hoi Mies, pretty much everybody yeah. died. Ran. Yeah. Straight up. Mm -hmm. And no one knows how they died. Mm -hmm. It's all just mysterious, like, you know. I can't imagine what that must have done to, you know, the people living out there. Yeah. You know? I mean,. I think it was two million deaths, which is about which is like the population of Phnom Penh. Yeah, it was, it, and it's twenty five percent of the whole 
country's population. That's insane. Yeah. 20, a quarter, it's like Black Plague levels, mm -hmm. but it's done by your own government. Right. That's so fucked up. And they, and it was kind of a bait and switch because a lot of people were supporting the Khmer Rouge um, as a way to get Sihanouk back in power because they missed him. Mm -hmm. Sihanouk so, believed that as well. Yeah, he was that's, duped. That's the he was duped part, hard. Yeah. And then once they got there, they're like, just kidding. Uh, we're actually going to keep him prisoner. And here's this guy, Pol Pot. And yes. he's going he's gonna to be in charge now. Mm -hmm. um, Most people know Pol Pot from the, the Dead Kennedy song. Yeah. <laughs> but he was the leader of the Khmer Rouge, and he was the guy who was essentially responsible for killing a quarter of the Cambodian population. Mm -hmm. A real bastard. Real piece of shit, yeah. this guy was. <laughs> um, so a lot of the artists who didn't die... And mm -hmm. we're talking like people like Yol Olorong, for example. Mm -hmm. Imagine how much of a free spirit he was and how rebellious. There's no way he would have gotten any foot. Like, yeah. he, he's the kind of guy who would profess his artistry to the end and essentially why he was one of the first people to die. Mm -hmm. If you were an artist back then, you either lied or you died. And um, many people in Phnom Penh who, if, who were evacuated were sent into what essentially were prison farm camps. Yeah. You know? Because the thing about... Um, starting a revolutionary government is you need some way to, to reorganize what it is mm -hmm. that you're going to do. And, and the Khmer Rouge wanted to go straight agriculture. Like, we need to get people pumping. We need to get this stuff out because that's the way we're going to make money Yeah. Um, to fund this government, you know? So the living conditions were dreadful, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. you know? Like, people were... They didn't have baths, so they bathed in craters that were created by B-52 bombers. <laughs> um, like... There was almost no food. There were no amenities, nothing. Yeah. People didn't have the radio anymore, you know. And especially for the younger generation, because this was 1975, and the independence independence started in 53. So if you were anywhere under 22 years old, you didn't know anything but the independence of Cambodia. That's and true, so switching yeah. over to these living conditions, if you were older, maybe you'd be like, well, I guess we're back to square one again. Yeah. You know? But if you were younger, mm -hmm. it was a slap in the face. Mm -hmm. You know, You didn't understand anything like it. So, so how long did this last for, this this regime from 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 year zero? Oh God, I don't even know. I believe it was 1979. Yeah, I think. Um, but at this point, there were so many people that had been murdered already. Right. That the spirits were extremely low. There was a man named Hung Samrin. He declared a coup. He took over the Khmer Rouge people. There was another civil war, and then the people were finally liberated from the Rouge regime. They were out. So people were able to move back into Phnom Penh. The problem was, did anybody want to? Right, you know? yeah. Like, that city was ground zero for a massacre, and no one knew if they were safe again. I wouldn't. Yeah, the damage was done. Yeah, and the scars remain. Um, the first thing... Coincidentally, the first thing that helped people move back to the city was the reinstation of the national radio. Mm -hmm. So any artists that were left alive would start performing and they would write songs about the, the, the reinstitution of um, Phnom Penh and its citizens. And it was super, super sad. You know, um, It's just one of those things that, in, at least in this country, doesn't really have an equal. Mm -hmm. You know? I can't... I mean, imagine the electronic revolution of the 90s. Mm -hmm. Like when Aphex Twin was getting really big and rave was starting to become a thing in America. Mm -hmm. And this was all music that was coming over from France and like and the UK and a whole lot of European countries. 
Imagine that starts taking over the culture. And then President Clinton, I think it was, or whatever, whoever was in power at the time, was like, somebody else takes over. And then they're like, all these raid musicians, they're just going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to kill them all. Because yeah. they're because we want America first, you know? Yeah. Like, essentially, we're all worried that UK and Ireland and the and France are going to take over, and so someone we vote on someone to make sure it doesn't happen, and then someone else moves in, and they're like, "Oh, we're just going to kill Apex Twin," you know? Yeah, and, that's uh, a great way to put it. Yeah, I guess Apex Twin wasn't American, but that's beside the point. Yeah. Um. It's, it's so because of that, I think is especially young Americans, relatively young Americans like we are, it's hard to sort of equate that, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, today's government is is more focused on censorship than anything else, you know. Yeah, but I mean, we haven't really reached that point yet. This does represent, though, a lot of things that I think a lot of people are afraid of. That's true. I you mean, know? hell, they they pulled they started pulling funding from the arts back in twenty sixteen, I think, mm-hmm. uh, or twenty seventeen, maybe. I forget when uh, Trump took over. It was like twenty sixteen, right? The end. Yeah. Yeah. So they started pulling funding for the arts already. Um, it won't get to that, but there is right. like a slight violent spirit that a lot of people are obviously getting a little bit fearful about. Yeah, you know? yeah. But the the positive thing is because the media and uh, social media is still strong, and free media is still a thing in this country. Um, there are so many artists that are already resistant about that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and maybe some of them, I would say maybe the majority of them don't, aren't aware of what happened in Cambodia in the seventies. But you know, anything's possible. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, ho- yeah. Hopefully, it won't have yeah. to happen again. <laughs> yeah. It's a grim. It's a grim thought. And yeah. there's almost no way it will happen to the to the extent that it will happen in Cambodia, but you never know. Yeah, you know, it's a scary thing to think about. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's like a fable at this point, you know, <laughs> yeah, like a fable. a fable that really happened. And yeah. it's like this is, you know, because they haven't really. I mean, it's it's been how many years now, and they still haven't. Forty come back. years, yeah, since um since uh, Cambodia was reinstated. Recovery is really really hard. It is, exactly, especially if you're not. A, a technically considered a first world country. Yeah. You know, like you don't have the technological advancements and the culture movements to sort of push on. Yeah. Like some, a lot has changed in Cambodia since then, but a lot has stayed the same as well, mm-hmm. you know? And I think the scars still remain as they would. You know, 40 years is, isn't actually that much time. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, that isn't to say that the music itself isn't worth remembering because it absolutely is. If you guys are interested in listening to Cambodian music, these are the artists you need to check out. We'll list them off. Sin Sizamuth. Mm-hmm. Totally check out all of his works. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever you can get your hands on. His earliest stuff, his stuff with the Go-Go, his stuff with Ross Sarey whose work you should also check out. Mm-hmm. Um, Yol Alarong and his revolutionary spirit. Um, Hoya Mias and uh, her godlike voice. <laughs> um, Penran, Dakar. Boxy Chum Krong. Boxy Chum Krong. Um, Chum Kem. Yes, Chum Kem. Um, were there any others that we missed? Any others that... Uh... Oh, there's... Uh, well, there's... In the comedy vein, there's Mia Saman, and he just did... So so he's kind of like the full-fledged... Yul Alarong did, like, songs that were winking, mm-hmm. right? But Mia Saman did, like, songs that were just, like, mugging towards the camera. Cool. And he had, like, a very, like, Charlie Chaplin-esque He did have that uh, mustache. Vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So his songs are all very, like, silly and fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've gathered all of the songs that I could find on Spotify that were unaltered. So I made a playlist... 
Um, it should come up if you just type Cambodian I'm going to link raw. it in the podcast description. Oh, okay, cool. So people can check it out. Because the tough thing is that a lot, since copyright didn't exist in Cambodia till 2003. Okay. So um, a lot of it's been like really unregulated and the way the music is spread is basically bootlegs of bootlegs of bootlegs. And a lot of the copies of the songs now are A, in poor quality, B, have been overdubbed with drum machines and stuff. Really? Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's way to spice it up, modernize. Somebody somewhere in some market decided to, you know, like remix, basically. Right. Um, So, so much of what you can find out there is this kind of awkward merch. (laughs) There's like (laughs) extra tracks on it. It's very strange. Right. Um, So I I, I gathered all the ones I could that don't have that. but yeah, some of the some of the really good songs you just have, kind of have to deal with the the weird drum machine. Okay, you know it's well, d- good disclaimer. But there's also, um, I mean, there's a lot of like preservationists um, working. There, there's a guy I met, uh, DJ Oro. He started the Cambodian Vintage Music Archive, and he's working with Sin Sistemu's family directly to help them regain um, copyright and original masters. Good on him. For yeah, for the and, and start to get royalties and like kind <laughs> of preserve God. his legacy. Um, so yeah, he's he's starting to work on some like reissues that are really great. Wow, sweet! And um, uh, Boxy Chum Kong got a really good re-release from the original master. Aren't they still playing today? I think yeah. at, at least the three main <laughs> members have survived. Survived somehow. Survived the Khmer Rouge regime, yeah. and they're still playing. I think they they might. One of them lives in France, and one of them lives somewhere in America. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Cool. Well, absolutely check that music out. If you want to read more about Cambodian rock and roll, Alex is doing a whole month of it on his zine. That's the whole month of July? Yeah. 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 Um, You have to go check out his stuff on Loop and Relay. He's in Loop and Replay. I want to make sure I get that right. He's an amazing writer. I'm a super big fan of his work. Ah, shucks. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, um... And yeah, check it out. And uh, I think that's all the time that we have. We covered pretty much the straight and narrow of it. Yeah. You know? Alex, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> um, and check us out at tapedeckpodcast.com. We've got a whole bunch of stuff coming out still and now and forever until I die. <laughs> Who knows when it's going to stop. Um, until then, I'm Rob Mora. This has been Alex Benson. Thank you so much for listening to us. You guys have a great week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Chuan ka chan bong